This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The greatest outdoor show on ice returns to Edmonton with the NHL's Heritage Classic making a stop where it all started 20 years ago. The inaugural event, played on a chilly November evening at Commonwealth Stadium in 2003, sparked an idea that has garnered a host of similar games in stadiums across the league, but it wasn't necessarily a guaranteed success. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Post-media national sports writer Dan Barnes joins me to discuss where the idea for the Heritage Classic came from, challenges that the Edmonton Oilers were faced with in getting it off the ground, and the legacy of that game in the league today. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, or even tell your friends about the show. So Dan, this coming weekend, October 29th, marks the return to Edmonton of the storied NHL outdoor hockey game. Now it's, I believe, called the Tim Hortons NHL Heritage Classic. Originally, it just started out as the Heritage Classic. But before we even got to the name Heritage Classic, we didn't even have this concept of an outdoor game. And it's something that's become hugely popular in the league in the last 20 years. In Edmonton in 2003, the city hosted the first NHL outdoor game. But what was the, I guess, the germination of the seed of the idea for such a game? It wasn't even an outdoor game at that point, was it? No, there wasn't much of anything. The only outdoor game of note at that point was uh, put on by Michigan and Michigan State in 2001. They called it the Cold War. They got about 75,000 people into Spartan Stadium in uh, in East Lansing, Michigan, and it was a roaring success. And I know a lot of Euler executives at that time saw it and were impressed by it and, and kind of just filed it away. And nothing came of it until Pat LaForge, the president, uh, Alan Watt, the vice president, and Cal Nichols, who was chair of the ownership group at that time, took in the 2002 All-Star Game in uh, Los Angeles. And they came away disillusioned and, and disappointed with the product. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's a corporate schmooze fest, mainly. And the NHL does it as well as anybody else. But it's not hockey. And it's not true to hockey's roots. And so the, the three of them were on the flight home and they started talking about this. And they wanted to do something that was truer to hockey's root system. And they thought they could maybe stage an all-star game outdoors. Well, that was just, uh, that's a non-starter with the league, simply because it is a corporate schmooze fest. <laughs> and you don't want your corporate sponsors sitting outside in potentially, you know, minus 20, trying to have a good time watching a game that really doesn't matter. So that's how it started with this idea of an outdoor all-star game, the NHL quickly said, nope, that's not going to happen. So the Oiler Brain Trust went to work and they decided that an alumni game was the way to go and, you know, celebrate the Oilers stars of old. And let's face it, Edmonton loves to look into the past. Uh, and so they, they uh, hammered home on that idea and they eventually found a partner. They, at first... They were thinking it would be the Calgary Flames, 
And then they eventually got around to the, the uh, Canadians. But when Patrick LaForge phoned his cousin, Pierre Boivin, who was then Habs president, uh, it was Boivin who said, well, why don't we play for two points? And so that was the start of that idea. So it became an alumni game and a two-point game at that point. So the Oilers have this idea, the Oilers brain trust, as you say, have this idea for this outdoor game and it eventually evolves from an all-star game, which wouldn't, didn't end up working out as we know. And, and then they land on a, on an alumni game, as you say, and then they get the Montreal Canadians involved. What did it take to get the league involved? Cause the, you know, if I, I can think one thing about the NHL is they're, they're very risk averse and they don't always take new ideas very well. And they're, they're slow to to change or to try new things. So how did they get the league involved in, in this kind of spectacle at, I, I guess would be fair to say, cause it was a spectacle at first. Right. The, the league was involved from the start in the same manner that it's involved in any home game of any team in the league. And that's, it was very much an oiler show. It was always going to be an oiler show uh, because we're part of that reason, the risk averse part of that reason. Absolutely. Uh, so they were very much watching what was unfolding, but they had a lot of questions about, A, why do you want to do this? What if nobody buys tickets? What if it's, you know, 40 below and nobody shows up? All kinds of concerns. And, you know, they were protecting their brand, rightly so, I guess. Uh, in the minds of the Oilers uh, executives and other people that I spoke to, the turning point was, I believe, May of 2000 when the uh, Doug Goss, who was chair of the organizing committee at that point, put in a call to the late premier, Ralph Klein, and managed to secure $500,000 from the province for this idea. So shortly after that, the Oilers got a home game onto the NHL schedule against the Canadians for November 22nd of the coming season. And it, it kind of just, it took off from there. Once it's on the schedule and once they have some seed funding to make sure that, you know, maybe this is not going to be a financial disaster, then the NHL was more inclined to do whatever it could to support and promote. Uh, but it, it remained an Oilers show. Now, these productions are very much NHL productions. But back then, the Oilers put in all the work. They uh, took all the risk. And they paid all the costs and they reaped the financial benefit. Now, looking at the preparations for an event like this, what kind of challenges were the Oilers facing in getting this off the ground? Once they actually had the, you know, they had the opponent involved, they had the leagues okay, they had some seed money. I imagine there were some other roadblocks. I mean, first of all, for people who don't know, Commonwealth Stadium wasn't built necessarily only for football. It was built for the Commonwealth Games. So you have a football field, a CFL field, which is a big field. And then you have a wide track for, you know, eight lanes of track and field events uh, around that. And so it doesn't necessarily feel as intimate as perhaps maybe some NFL stadiums do in the U.S., which are built for football and the stands are pretty close to the to the action. Was the stadium a hurdle for the Oilers at first? And, and what other things came into play for them in the lead up to the actual event? I don't think the stadium was a hurdle. It, it became the only place you could do it because they thought about Horlack Park. They thought about, when they were just thinking about the alumni game, they thought about 
maybe clearing off a section of the North Saskatchewan River, of all things. They thought about Lake Louise. Hmm. So these were all ideas that could maybe be supported if it was just an alumni game. But when it became an NHL game, you had to have NHL-worthy ice. So you also had to have a place you know, to sell enough tickets that, uh, that made it financially viable. So they settled on Commonwealth Stadium. They set up a mock uh, rink there with the rink boards and the glass and some plastic, the white plastic that you used to wrap hay bales and buildings and boats and all that. Uh, on July, I think it was July 18th of 2003, and they put this thing inside the stadium. It fit between the 30-yard lines, I was told. I can't remember for sure. And Alan Watts said he climbed to the top of the stadium, and it was during Klondike days, so he could watch Klondike days over one <laughs> shoulder and look at the, the rink over the other, and it really looked small. And, of course, it was from that vantage point, but... It is what it is. They, you needed that kind of place to hold it. So once they settled on that, then they had to build the rink. And that was uh, quite a production. You started with rig mats. So for the uninitiated, rig mats are, I don't know, what are they? Rubber and metal uh, base layers for anybody in the oil field uh, trying to travel over muskeg and whatnot. It just gives you a, a good piece of ground. So they started with rig mats. And over the rig mat, they built a box around the rig mats. They poured in sand, and then they laid the refrigeration pipe into the sand. And they had to line the whole thing because they didn't want to ruin the Commonwealth Stadium turf, which was, in fact, grass at that point. But they wound up having to replace it at the cost of 150000 anyway. <laughs> they didn't want, you know, they were hoping to avoid that, but it was unavoidable. Uh, they had to bring in a refrigeration unit that cost them $475,000 to rent for essentially two or three weeks. I can't remember. Uh, so that was a big ticket item, but obviously you had to have it in case you couldn't make ice. Well, they could make ice because it was so freezing cold. They didn't use the machine for the last three days, uh, but it was a necessary expense. So there were things like that. And, you know, there were other just transforming the, the stadium into a uh, more viewer-friendly experience. You had to put a sponsor's tent at one end. That was the north end. They built this massive, uh, uh, what do they call it? Well, it was, it was for their suite holders. Mm -hmm. So it was a great big grandstand at the south end, but it was more than just a grandstand. It was more elaborate than that. And I think the total stadium build cost them something like a million and a half. So it was quite extensive. And that's the kind of thing that they were up against because they were flying. They like to say they were flying without you know, without a much of a clue as to where they're going because nobody had done it at the NHL level. So it wound up that the ice was not the greatest, and that was in part because it was so, so cold and it got flaky. And, and when you're, you know, a, a professional skater on sharp blades and you turn a sharp corner and the ice is flaky, it just comes apart like crazy. So they were having troubles like that. But, again, this was the first of its kind. Uh, they broke the mold, and you know they've they've been following it now for twenty years. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. One of the big hurdles in Edmonton in November, as you mentioned, is is the weather. And and while Edmonton has an average high temperature for November of plus one, it also has the possibility of getting really cold. And in the days leading up to the event, and even on the day of the event, it wasn't nice in Edmonton. I remember I was uh, <laughs> I was a, a journalism student. I was going to some of the media events in advance to check them out and, and kind of see kind of all what was going on. And I remember how cold it was. And what... On the day of the event, what were the concerns among, you know, the Oilers group, the league, the players about the cold and, and whether anyone would show up? Well, there was that. They, uh, I was told that there was a call. I think it was a conference call early in the morning, like 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Uh, the organizing group with the NHL people who thought, you know, it's minus 25 now Celsius. Should we just maybe think about canceling the thing? And the oiler personnel or the, the organizing group personnel on the call said, you know, maybe you should just show up at the stadium and see what happens. <laughs> and the, uh, the alumni game was due to start at 3 o'clock. By 1.30, there was apparently 40,000 people in the, in the seats. So they showed up and they were dressed appropriately and they were ready to go. And it was at that point when, they, when the puck dropped on the alumni game, it was minus 16.8. But it was sunny and, you know, people were fine. Uh, by the time the, uh, the two-point game got started, two, let's see, two and a half hours later at 5.30-ish, it was minus 18.6 and dropping and, you know, getting dark. So that was a different story. But it was, there were concerns uh, expressed by various people. I don't know if they were all NHL people, but about the potential effect of the cold air on the lungs of the uh, athletes. Well, Kevin Lowe, who was at that point the Oilers general manager, he was playing in the alumni game. He told uh, Colin Campbell of the NHL, look, I get cold really easy now. I'm going to go out and I'll play this game and I'll tell you. I won't BS you. If it's too cold, I'll tell you. Well, they, they were able to play no problem. His only concern was the ice, and the ice just wasn't very good. So they, you know, they tried to get the ice better. They did some... Uh, they did some flooding and some scraping, and Dan Craig, the ice guru, tried to do all he could to get it better. But before the two-point game started, uh, they called a huddle of all the interested parties, and one of them was Dr. David Reed, who was at that point an Oilers physician. And he apparently told this great story about uh, how he taught a class in uh, surviving cold and working in the cold and playing in the cold. And he told the story about all the Spitfire pilots coming back in the Second World War from uh, sorties over France or wherever they were, having their windshields blasted out. And it was way colder up there than it would be at ice level. And those guys managed to survive, you know, an hour-long flight or whatever the heck it was. So he was basically the last word. And, and they followed his advice and they went out and played it and everybody was fine. In speaking to the people who were involved in setting this up and knowing that there is this 20-year legacy now, there's not just the Heritage Classic Games, there's also the Winter Classic Games that are, you know, played in the in 
American stadiums as well in the NHL. Looking at at the legacy of this, how did how did the people who were involved feel about what they had done for the league? Well, I was told that at the first Board of Governors, NHL Board of Governors meeting following the game, I don't know when it happened, but it was sometime down the road, that Commissioner Gary Bettman started the meeting off by saying it was the most significant event of his tenure, which at that point was about 10 years. So they had done something special, and they didn't, you know, they I, I don't know if they thought about legacy at the time. Maybe they did, but they pulled it off. They made a, you know, a fair bit of money. I think the profit was about a million five, a million seven, something like that, on a production that cost them four and a half million to put on. So the revenues came in. And the NHL was very interested. They could, I think Bettman could see right away that this was going to be a, a you know, a, a new revenue stream. And, you know, every business is always looking for new revenue streams. This was certainly one of those. What was interesting is that it took another five years for the next one to happen uh, in Buffalo. And I, I'm not at all sure why they didn't go back to the well quicker, but I guess maybe they were just working on the technology or whatever it was. But yeah, it's, you know, there's been, I think the game on Sunday will be the 38th. I think that's what it is. So they've got the Winter Classic. They've got the Stadium Series. They're putting on four of these things this this season. You know, back in the day, one a year was, you know, possibly thought of as the uh, the most you could do. And now they do four a year. So they don't do four a year every year. But And there's the thought that maybe it's, you know, oversaturated and yet they're averaging I think the 37 games have averaged something like 50,000 people at them so you know people still want to see this they come out they spend the money everybody seems to think it's uh, an idea that's worth doing four times this season do you think it's something that kind of sets the NHL apart like I can't think of I know baseball has tried to do it with you know they're playing in a cornfield in the middle of nowhere but there, there doesn't seem to be another sport where you can really kind of take on this, this different feel, this different vibe for the game. And is it something that's special to the NHL? I think you can do it in basketball, and it has been done. There was a, I think it was a college game, was it not? Played on the deck of an aircraft carrier. <laughs> yeah. You know that it's a smaller court. I think that one plays very well into to being uh, creative with it. But yeah, it's you know football's played indoors and outdoors regularly. Baseball, same thing. Hockey was always an indoor sport. You know, the NHL had done, I think, two previous four, well, maybe three. Uh, there was a game inside a prison in Michigan in the 50s. There was that thing that uh, the LA Kings hosted in Vegas in the parking lot of Caesars Palace. I think it was the Kings and the Rangers uh, back in whatever, 91. I don't even know. Um, so there wasn't much. Right. And this they just they set the template and it works. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to keep working, but if 50,000 people want to show up at these things, they will keep putting them on. So, yeah, they they are, uh, I guess, uniquely blessed that way. But again, basketball seems to me to be another one that you could uh, you could take on the road, as it were. Yeah. Looking ahead to to this Sunday's game, um, we have. The Oilers and the Flames, the Battle of Alberta, it's always kind of, it's been a storied rivalry in the sport of hockey. Um, but we also have an Oilers team and a Flames team that aren't playing super well to start the season. And the biggest player in the game, 
right now, Connor McDavid is is potentially a question mark. Do these facts hurt the the significance of another Heritage Classic in Edmonton at the 20th anniversary? I do not believe so. No, because it's it really and truly is less about the score of the game than the in, the experience. Right mm-hmm. back in the day, I mean, even Kevin Lowe, <laughs> who was general manager of the Oilers at that time, said. I didn't care what the score was. I just didn't want anybody to get hurt because it was the great unknown was the ice. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's the spectacle. It's the ability for you to say I was there when, and it's just unique. So no, I, I don't think the fact that the Oilers and flames are, are, uh, you know, <laughs> basically dumpster fires right now really matters. And what are you going to do about, you know, McDavid missing the game? If he's hurt, he's hurt. That's just the way it goes. And it's just bad luck for people who wanted to see him skate outdoors, I suppose. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of other players you can watch. And again, it's it's truly just about the experience. Yeah. And I know, you know, fans are looking forward to it. It's, it, it's starting to gain momentum in the city as we get closer to the event. And I, I, I think a lot of people are looking forward to see what happens at Commonwealth Stadium on Sunday. Dan, thanks for your time. You bet. Thank you. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Dan Barnes. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.